Got a favorite Kate Bush song that you just want to leave a couple of thoughts on? Well, you can call our hotline at any time and your thoughts might be played on a future episode. That number is 1-757-349-6886. That's 1-757-349-6886. Hope to hear from you soon. Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. If you would like to support the show, then you can visit patreon.com slash Podcast to see what wonderful rewards we're offering for your support of the show. Thank you. And now, on with the show. What I love about this song really comes down to a quote from Under the Ivy by Graham Thompson, the biography of Kate Bush, where he says, In the end, it required comprehensive footnotes to explain itself, but the power and feeling in the music is which are asking questions is love stronger than death perhaps there are some things can we can never escape from are unmistakable so really it, that what it boils down to that's what moves me so much about it just the unabashed romanticism about this transcendent love this transcendent love this love that is transcending de- death and different planes of existence from the real world to the spiritual world. So many comments are about, I never thought anybody would cover this song and how, and, uh, and I will tell you, it is probably the most challenging Kate Bush song I have done to date. Um, it's chord progression is incredibly bizarre. Um, getting that string arrangement that was done by Dave Lawson and, and sort of transcribing that to piano by ear um, is definitely one of the things I'm most proud of on YouTube, <laughs> in my entire channel. Um, that's an incredible arrangement um, by Dave Lawson. And I kind of did it justice, you know, listening to it now in 2019, I would tweak a few things, but I'm really proud of that cover. Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the second to last track, believe it or not, on Kate Bush's fourth album, The Dreaming, called Houdini. And we've got several people we're going to be talking with for this song. And we also have from last episode. And the episode before that. Sorry, you probably don't want to hear me ever again. (laughs) No. Uh, I'm Zoe P. um, And I'm a dreaming diehard. I did the intro Mm -hmm. for this episode. So if you want to know all my collected thoughts on the best album of all time. You can listen to go back and listen to the dreaming intro episode, and I'm really excited to talk about this song because it's yeah. one that I'm deeply personally connected to, and also think is I see a lot in it that I don't see people discuss much about it in terms of deep, deep romanticism. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to explore that. But we've got another fan on the line. You might remember him from. It's weird. It almost it's almost been two years since this episode was released. That episode was released. Holy crap! Um, you might remember him from the Wuthering Heights episode way back in season one. He was one of my first guests, and he's going to be on the show here to talk about Houdini. Go ahead and introduce yourself. 
My name is Luke McQuillan, and I am a huge Kate Bush fanatic, and um, I'm known on YouTube for my Kate Bush covers, and I have covered Houdini and uh, Wuthering Heights and many other Kate Bush songs, and I'm just always in awe of her and always happy to talk about her work with a fellow fan. I know. And also, it's, I mean, your Kate Bush covers is how I discovered you because I was like, oh, I wonder if there are any Kate Bush covers. And I randomly found your cover of this week's song. So, <laughs> Oh, wow. So this was the first cover of mine you heard? Yes, it was. Wow. That's awesome. And I found it and I went, oh, my goodness, somebody has covered Houdini? <laughs> Holy crap, I need to hear this. Who you know, are you? I was looking at the comments actually right before we started because I just kind of wanted to um, refresh because I covered that so many years ago. I don't even remember really what uh, I did with the song, but so many comments are about, I never thought anybody would cover this song mm-hmm. and how, and uh, and I will tell you, it is probably the most challenging Kate Bush song I have done to date. Um, it's chord progression is incredibly bizarre. Um, mm-hmm. getting that string arrangement that was done by Dave Lawson and, and sort of transcribing that to piano by ear, um, is definitely one of the things I'm most proud of on YouTube <laughs> in my entire <laughs> channel. Um, that's an incredible arrangement, um, by Dave Lawson. And I kind of did it justice, you know, listening to it now in 2019, I would tweak a few things. But uh, I'm really proud of that cover. So so thank you for mentioning it. Yeah, definitely. And I'm going to link to that in the, uh, for folks listening, I'm going to link to that in the uh, show description so you can uh, go and take take a listen for yourself. And I'll play a little clip, of course. But... So how did you, uh, I can't remember if, because it's been so long since we kind of talked about Kate Bush and everything from the Wuthering Heights episode. Holy crap, that was almost two years ago. But um, how did you come across Kate Bush? How'd you find her? I always like finding out, especially because you're a young fan like me. So it's like, hmm, well, probably the internet. Like yes. Me. <laughs> yeah. I I was 19 years old when I heard Kate for the first time. And my sister was a big Tori Amos fan. And somebody at one of her jobs, and I don't remember who this was. I wish I knew the person because I would love to thank them. But somebody suggested to her, oh, if you like Tori, you need to listen to Kate Bush. She was kind of like the original of the the genre. And um, and so my sister actually was listening to Kate. She played Wuthering Heights on YouTube back in the early, early days of YouTube. And um, I was just happened to be in the room. I think I was reading or something on the couch. And I stopped dead in my tracks. I mean, just even with the opening piano bars of Wuthering Heights, I was like, wait a minute, what is this? Um, It was so arresting. It was so bizarre. And yet all at the same time, so beautiful. And um, so I've always been kind of grateful that I have the same introduction to Kate as the rest of the world. I could have listened to anything because at that time, it was 2005, Ariel had just been released. And so I could have heard Ariel, I could have heard, you know, any of her back catalog, but I got to start with Wuthering Heights like everybody else. And mm-hmm. um, I've always been grateful for that in a way. Um, and it was just a happy accident. And um, I stayed up that whole night after my sister left and I listened to that song obsessively <laughs> just because <laughs> it was so bizarre to me. I, I felt like I had to unlock its secrets and so, because I was also a composer already, I had been writing songs since I was 13, 14 years old. And, um, and so as a songwriter, it was kind of like 
just mind-bending. I mean, it was just so crazy. The chord progression was so bizarre. Um, the vocals were so bizarre. And I just felt like I, I had to immerse myself in it and learn its secrets. And, mm-hmm. um, and that was my introduction to Kate. So what led you then to Houdini? Well, you know, I maybe it's the completionist in me, but what I <laughs> what I did after Wuthering Heights, I went to I drove the next town over because we didn't have any record stores in my town, and um, this was still in the early days of like iTunes and all that stuff. Not everything mm-hmm. was like digital, and um, so I drove to the next biggest town and I bought every wow. Kate album I could find <laughs> just wow. from, just from that <laughs> one song. I knew I knew with Wuthering Heights, you know, like uh, when you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I had struck gold and um, I systematically went through and I just listened um, album to album and I went through her discography and just um, listened straight through over the course of a couple weeks. And um, so I did not get to Houdini right away. I, I got to Houdini sort of in order on the dreaming. Um, and I was just so taken with the song. It actually had it produce a very similar feeling in me to Wuthering Heights. And mm. um, if we talk, if we end up talking about sort of like the chord progression of the song. Yes, um, definitely want to. Um, Kate actually employs a really similar trick from Wuthering Heights in this song. Um, and so I think that's really interesting. And, uh, and I love songs that are, I mean, I love a good love song too. I write a lot of love songs, but, (laughs) but, um, the fact that Kate writes so often from real life or literary sources or cinematic sources, um, and these biographical songs like Houdini, I just love that, you know, and there's not enough of that in pop music today. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when when I first got to this song, like I I went like out of order because uh, I I mean I started with Wuthering Heights, but then I started hearing other random songs of hers like on flashback alternatives and like eventually like run, running up that hill grew on me, and then I got the whole story, and then started kind of going from there. Mm-hmm. And when I first heard this song, like I like la- I really liked it, and then it got to the chorus, and that freaked me that freaked the hell out of me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and I definitely want to talk about the chorus. Yeah, well, and we'll definitely get to that. And and I just, it freaked me out. I didn't really like this song very much. But over the years, it has grown on me. And before I did this season, I ranked my favorite songs on The Dreaming. And this one came in for me at number five, because it's not an absolute favorite. But I do, I feel like I appreciate this one even more then when I first heard it, certainly more when I first heard it in 2005 and went, oh, my God, what's this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, and that's, you know, I think that's a normal reaction, even from a diehard Kate fan. I think if uh, if a Kate <laughs> fan isn't going, what the heck is she doing? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe she's uh, lost the thread a little bit. But uh, I think Kate is still good at making us do that. Let's see, this song, I gotta say, like, the first time I heard this song, it scared the living shit out of me. Like, (laughs) when I first heard this song, I just, I was not expecting the screaming that she does later in the chorus. Like, the first, like, the I I really, truly believe that the first few lines of that chorus, so with a kiss I pass the key, are some of the most beautiful music that Kate has 
ever put to record. Like, it's just got this, like, uh, yeah. flowy and watery sort of feel to it that makes you feel like you are actually, you know, the protagonist in the song, when we get to it, it makes you feel like you yeah. are actually watching him in the water tank doing his tricks. I really love your analogy of that. I really love that analogy. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, there is this really there is a very delicate quality to her vocals um, before the chorus and which mm-hmm. makes the contrast all the more jarring. And the way you described it about feel it having a watery quality, I think is, um, is a perfect description that had never even occurred to me before, but it does sound like it's interesting. I thought air and water are very different elements, but I think it is more water. So at first I used to think airy, but more watery and it also is very we've talked about this before but it is very i actually think so we talked about on all the love how it kind of feels like a song you can just picture her on a stage and spotlight on her this one i feel her vocals are actually even more until besides the screaming are even more broadway mm-hmm. um like yes like the you and i in the room you see you know like all that feels like it's just straight out broadway show especially because this is a story song so it's one that feel because it is telling a very specific story in the same way that a song in a Broadway musical would be. Um, it really does. Her delivery is extremely kind of classically Broadway, minus yes. classically theatrical and beautiful and delicate until the guttural chocolate fueled screaming. Oh, I know. So I know we've talked extensively about this off air. But for you, why is Houdini one of your favorite Kate Bush songs? Yeah, so it's interesting that you said it scared you mm-hmm. because, and I have no idea why. I have, I do not know what I was thinking or not thinking at the time, but I remember when I listened to Dreaming, this song just didn't even really make an impression on me. I don't know how it didn't because she's screaming, but it just, I don't know, it just didn't make an impression on me. Um, and then it it took like a long, I don't know. There are certain songs where I know exactly when it hit me. I know the, when, when, when I finally got Rocket's Tales, because I was talking to a friend who I met in person who loved Kate Bush, and she mentioned that Rocket's Tale had always been a favorite of hers. I was like, let me go back and listen to that. And mm-hmm. it hit, I got it. It clicked. I remember it was In Search of Peter Pan, all of a sudden, once, I remember listening to Lionheart one day on the street, and all of a sudden it clicked. With this, I don't know when that click happened, but it ha- but it happened. Um, and I think what I love about this song really comes down to a quote from Under the Ivy by Graham Thompson, the biography of Kate Bush, where he says, in the end, it required comprehensive footnotes to explain itself, but the power and feeling in the music, is, which are asking questions, is love stronger than death. Perhaps there are some things can, we can never escape from are unmistakable. So really, it, that what it boils down to, that's what moves me so much about it. Just the unabashed romanticism about this transcendent love, this transcendent love, this love that is transcending de- death and different planes of existence from the real world to the spiritual world. Um, and it's hard to find, it's hard to even understand or realize that that's what this song what the theme of the song is because it's buried. And I don't say buried in a bad way. I love their production. It's buried beneath such, um, such intense production and the guttural screaming. But what it really, it's really a love song. And it's like pretty much the most, 
unconventional love song, which so I always listen to this on Valentine's Day. To me, mm-hmm. this, I just to me this is the most romantic song because it's about. So as you as we've talked about with the backstory of the song is about Beth Houdini and mm-hmm. contacting using mm-hmm. a seance to talk to contact Harry Houdini, her deceased husband, and Harry Houdini throughout his life was devoted to debunking spiritualism. And yeah. so therefore, this is a woman who was turning against everything her husband stood for and everything that she believed to be rational because out of love, because she loved him so much. And she's willing to really go back on anything that she ever believed in or didn't believe in before to get that love back and to be able to reach the person she loved. And I just, God, that, oh my gosh, my, that really swells my heart. Um mm-hmm. It's just about turning your back on anything rational or logical that you thought you knew because of the power, not to get all Celine Dion, the power of love, but because the power of love overrides logic or reason. And this is something we see also, that's also the reason I love the Hounds of Love title track a lot, which I'll be talking about in like 10 years. Um, <laughs> no, it's not, it won't be 10 years, but you know what I mean. Um, Later this year. Because that, yeah, that song is about giving, literally give, like giving yourself up to the wild pull of romance. You know, don't yeah. let me go. Like, hold, me, hold me down mm-hmm. um, is our lyrics. So it's really just about how when you're in love, you will behave or do things that don't really make much sense or even go against your own beliefs because that connection is so powerful that in this case, in this song, it literally transcends death. Mm-hmm. And so I just love, so I love the, I, I, I mean, I love the composition of the production of the vocals. We'll talk more about that later, but the core of why I love the song is because deep down under the goth facade, I'm a softy and <laughs> romantic. And this song just pulls at my heartstrings. The fact that the idea of like someone needing to, contact ghosts in order to gain what they lost um mm-hmm. it, it makes me think of um i'm not gonna get too personal but this song for me is very connected to my first love and there was another song like connect with her a lot um there, it's a very it's like it's expressing a very similar emotion but like much less sophisticated in terms of lyrics production everything but Stuart Mac's song only over you it's one of the christine mcvee songs and i used to <laughs> Uh, I'm back in 2015, back in the day, I used to like sit in my office at work and just listen to that song and repeat and think about my my girlfriend. And um, lyrics to that are, I'm out of my mind. It's only over you. People think I'm crazy, but they don't know. They say I'm a silly girl, but I'm not a fool. I'm out of my mind and it's only over you. Mm-hmm. And, so, and also the song has a very dreamy quality to it. So there's something of both of these songs kind of just move me because they address how love and make you act in ways that kind of make you seem crazy like and to the extent of holding a seance when the person you're trying to contact was against the practice against doing so to begin with yeah you know, like there are things with like my first love where i would just kind of like you know we'd have these like really intense fights and i would be just hysterical sobbing and feel like the world was over and my roommate would be like are you okay like don't worry it's going to be deal like no the world's over you know it's that intense being in the intense like i i literally we went on this trip where I, I literally crossed an ocean to be with her. Um, you do intense things, the things we do for love. (laughs) 
So kind of speaking of like, so, I mean, this was uh, released on her fourth album, The Dreaming. Um, it's interesting that it was released as a B-side to Night of the Swallow when it was released as a single in Ireland. And other than that, it's just never really appeared. It's never appeared on anything else. It wasn't ever done redone for director's cut. It's just, it's an album cut. Mm-hmm. And it's... I, I like the the story behind the song. I find very fascinating as well. Oh, absolutely! And you know, the song still kind of gets its due because it's legendary in a sense because it's the cover of the album, mm-hmm. and um, and so because we have that imagery, you know, Houdini is almost the title track in a way. Like, I mean, I mean, I've always kind of thought that, even though the title track obviously is the dreaming, but -hmm. because the imagery is from Houdini, I've always thought that was really strong and really interesting choice that she made. Yeah. I kind of feel like, um, yeah, because if with her passing the key, it's like, oh, I'm kind of like giving kind of the beginning of a puzzle or something to the listeners. That's always kind of how I interpreted it. Like, oh, I like that. And yeah, especially with her like passing with his wife would pass him the key to get mm-hmm. out of his tricks and everything. And so she's like, okay, I've got this big puzzle thing like my husband's about to go into. And now here's the key for it. I don't know if that makes any sense. It's just kind of off the top of my head. here. It makes sense in my head. Yeah, I like that. I like <laughs> that a lot. And she also, of course, has that. Um, you know, I'm looking at the CD right now. If I have my vinyl somewhere, but I think it's in storage Ooh. because I know somewhere... In the artwork, yeah, she also, uh, there's a quote from the song, with a kiss I'd pass the key. Mm-hmm. So I find that really interesting. So she must have been very taken with this song, because I mean, it is, it is all over this album. And... and oh, it's and even they, on the back. It's on the back of the CD. Oh, yeah, let me actually go get my CD thing because i got that my cd's over here this part will probably get edited out (laughs) (laughs) that's okay i've got the uh the fish people reissue from like 2011 i believe so at least on that one it's the quote is underneath the track listing on the back yeah on the cd because the cd version is what i have Mm-hmm. And it's just got the the pretty like ivy like leaves and kind of sepia on the back. Okay, I've got the 2011 reissue from Fish People, and oh. it's on the back of it on that one. It's underneath the track listing. Ah, yeah, my version. This came from uh, Fye in like 2005. <laughs> ah, okay, yeah. It's an older one. You know, I've got that one too somewhere. I don't know what I did with that. <laughs> Well, and of course, now the whole album and the song, of course, have been remastered for the big remasters box sets. Yes. Yeah. What did you think of the remaster of this song? I have, I heard it through YouTube or somewhere. I don't personally have the remasters because I already have all her albums, Mm -hmm. but it's, it must say something that, that Kate looks back on her. Uh, her older work and decides, okay, this, uh, this all could use a little bit of polishing and let's kind of put it out there, which I, I mean, I think it shows that she values her older stuff. And I mean, from quotes that I've read about her, 
Kate doesn't really look back fondly on her older music, which is rather unfortunate because that's the stuff that we like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. And I think it's interesting. I think the first three albums really benefited from the remastering process. And then starting sort of with the dreaming, I didn't notice huge differences um, in the tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, I did notice some, but but to me, this track wasn't that crazy different from the original master. Gotcha. Yeah, so what it's about, I think that, it's, so in the, the lyrics of the song, I get the impression, I think this is from not the point of view of Houdini himself, but his wife, which Correct. I think is really interesting. Yeah, and I love that too, because Kate is really good at um, sort of writing from the underdog or the mm-hmm. forgotten person. And uh, and she does that here beautifully. Yeah, it's interesting. She calls it Houdini, and so you would think it would be about him, but it's not. It's it's from his wife's point of view, which I think is really good. Like, it's she's giving a perspective to somebody you don't hear about as much. Like when you think Houdini, you usually think the short Hungarian-born guy, right, <laughs> trying to get out of chains and Chinese water torture and getting punched in the stomach. Yeah, you don't think of his wife. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, it's interesting. I wonder if she did think about calling it Mrs. Houdini, because I noticed, I read a few quotes from her um, talking about this song, and she is always referencing Mrs. Houdini, Mrs. Houdini in those quotes. And I do wonder if if that crossed her mind to call it Mrs. Houdini, Mm -hmm. but we'll probably never know. I wish I could ask her. I know. I would love to ask her. From the Kate Bush Club newsletter, issue number 12, 1982. The side most people know of Houdini is that of the escapologist, but he spent many years of his life exposing mediums and seances as frauds. His mother had died, and in trying to make contact through such spiritual people, he realized how much pain was being inflicted on people already in sorrow, people who would want to part with money just for the chance of a few words from a past loved one. I feel he must have believed in the possibility of contact after death, and perhaps in his own way, by weeding out the frauds, he hoped to find just one that could not be proven to be a fake. He and his wife made a decision that if one of them should die and try to make contact, the other would know it was truly them through a code that only the two of them knew. His wife would often help him with his escapes. Before he was bound up and sealed away inside a tank or some dark box, she would give him a parting kiss, and as their lips met, she would pass him the key, which he would later use to unlock the padlocks that chained him. After he died, Miss Houdini did visit many mediums, and he tried to make contact for years, but no luck, until one day a medium called Mr. Ford informed her that Houdini had come through. She visited him, and he told her that he had a message for her from Houdini, and he spoke the only words that meant for her the proof of her husband's presence. She was so convinced that she released an official statement to the fact that he had made contact with her through the medium, Ford. It's such a beautiful and strange story that I thought I had very little to do, other than tell it like it was. But in fact, it proved to be the most difficult lyric of all the songs and the most emotionally demanding. I was so aware of trying to do justice to the beauty of the subject and trying to understand what it must have been like to have been in love with such an extraordinary man and to have been loved by him. I worked for two or three nights just to find one line that was right. There were so many alternatives, but only a few were right for the song. Gradually it grew and began to piece together, and I found myself wrapped up in the feelings of the song, almost pining for Houdini. 
Singing the lead vocal was a matter of conjuring up that feeling again, and as the clock whirs and the song flashes back in time to when she watched him through the glass, he's on the other side underwater, and she hangs on to his every breath. We both wait. What I find intriguing about this song is that she calls it Houdini. And usually when you hear Houdini, mm-hmm. you think of you think of the guy. In fact, actually his mm-hmm. uh his real name was Eric Weiss. He was born mm-hmm. March 23rd, 1874. He died October 31st, 1926. He was Hungarian born and but raised in America. And when you think Houdini, you think of the guy. You think of, oh, yeah, that guy who used to get, like, tied up in chains and put it or put in a water tank and he would have to escape. And then he got punched in the stomach and he died. You don't really think of the wife. You don't realize, oh, he had a wife who would help him with his tricks. Mm-hmm. And I find it intriguing that this is called Houdini. It's not Miss Houdini. It's just Houdini. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I guess it'd be like calling Mrs. Barnlozy, Barnlozy or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, yeah, I, I think that's, yeah. Sorry, you go on. Oh, just, I I like that with the song that she's telling this story of Houdini from the wife's point of view, because you don't hear about the mm-hmm. wife very much. It's like when we were talked about in the um, the episode about... Kate's early work or even yeah or empty bullring oh yeah Dolly Dolly. yeah Yeah. like she's Mm -hmm. taking these women you don't usually you don't hear a lot about and instead she's writing something from their point of view and I think that that's I think that's important I think it's important to have many different viewpoints and of course that's what she does throughout all of her work is like offering like how seeing the world through other people Mm mm-hmm yeah, that's another reason that I find this song really meaningful and special is because she's embarking on a project that she does quite a few times that I find, frankly, a political statement, even completely unintentional, so unintentional, but completely a feminist statement and a political one at that, which is giving voice to silenced women. So I think obviously the most prominent example of that is the Kick Inside title track, which is mm-hmm. about... Um, which is a which is based on a folk tale, in which where a brother kills his sister who he's impregnated, and she literally says one line, and that's it. And it's his point of view, and she rewrites it as being from her point of view, and gives her agency. I I have written about this, um, so it's like yep. if anyone wants to look Google stereo gum Kate Bush the kick inside, that's my article, and I wrote extensively about that there. But uh, so I was like, I, it's like hard to like talk about it now because like, I got it out of my system. But um, but that song is, to me, an extremely powerful feminist statement because it really is like giving voice to um, a woman who was silenced and killed by a man. And so it's basically giving voice to generations. And this is a song, a folktale that's passed down. Folktales are passed down for generations and generations. So she's giving voice to generations of women silenced by, violence, by male violence against women. And in that song. And so here and then we have the Dali demo, which is from Dali's wife's point of view. And then in this song, I think it's re- especially radical that she's using speaking from wife's point of view, because she what she's describing and expressing here is are a lot of things that are coded as feminine. So this excessive emotionality um, is giving voice and power to that. Like this, I, there's always this thing of like, 
and this may might have, I don't know I did not know Mr. Houdini during his life, so I can't say. <laughs> but but um but there's always things like, oh, women are irrational. You know, like women don't they think with their like hearts or whatever and men are rational and logical. And so it's like this it's like the woman is contact is being quote unquote irrational by contacting the spiritual world and doing something that her husband thought was stupid or silly but she's giving voice and meaning and power to that by explaining her rationale and how it comes from this place of deep, deep love. And um, yeah. And so it's interesting, especially in your notes, you mentioned that his final words when he died, who Harry Dooney's words, I'm tired of fighting. Mm -hmm. And that reminds me of the empty bull ring, which is a song. If anyone wants to go back, Cecily and I have a very good episode about the empty bull ring. side from the never forever episode. And that's another song where Kate is giving voice to women. So that's a song she she plays the lover, whatever it's not specified, of a man who uh, was gored by a bull but keeps on going into this bull ring to like to fight the bull. And she's watching and being like, "You damn, you idiot, just stop it mm-hmm. already." Um, and so, in, in addition to that, more famously, Army Dreamers is about is from the perspective of a mother who's lost her son in war and is about the horror of war as seen through the eyes of the women who it impacts, who aren't on the battleground, but who impacts directly because they lose their loved ones as a result. So there's this theme throughout her work of her giving voice to women who have been sidelined or silenced, which mm-hmm. I think makes her, as an artist, no matter whether she realizes it or not, makes her work as an artist very powerfully feminist. Um, and she gives voices to men too. I mean, this woman's work is about child work from a male's point of view. Like, come on. But, um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think her, if she, even if the kick inside is the only song she ever did that for her, that'd be feminist as hell because, um, because she's literally, that's a song that rewrites a narrative about male violence against women and makes it and makes it about women's agency instead. Yeah. But it's interesting how with this and Dali and Army Dreamers and Empty Boring, she's really like the women that we don't, it's like, the, as you said, when we hear who's really, you think of the husband. These are the women that we don't think about in history. Mm-hmm. When, when we read about wars, we're not reading about the mothers and the sisters and the daughters and the friends and the lovers of the men who, were, who died. We also hear about the men who died. And Army Dreamers, we are hearing from them. So in here, we're not hearing, when we talk about Dali and Houdini, we're talking about Dali and Houdini, not about their wives. And we are hearing about them here. So mm-hmm. it's, I remember hearing a quote once, I, don't, I have no idea where it's from, but one thing, like, I wonder what it would be like to read uh, The Great Gatsby from Dave Buchanan's perspective. Um, mm. Because everyone sees her as a vapid airhead. You know, so I just think it's this really powerful, un- unintentional, unconscious political project that she's done throughout her career of... Um, of bringing women's voices to the forefront that have always been completely ignored. Yeah, especially with death, especially with something that's considered, like as I said, hysterical and considered irrational and hysterical and being able to give voice to that. And with the screaming, you know, um, that's a really dark thing that you not, on top of that, it's just not ladylike, Miss Bush, mm-hmm. not a good, proper little British girl, but here she is doing it. And especially with with the the woman that she's singing from the point of view from uh, Bess Houdini, his wife, that she was actually help him with his. Mm-hmm. She would like slip him the keys to his chains and help him with the his romance. tricks. 
you know, with a kiss, I can't pass the key. And yet nobody really talks about that, except, of course, Kate taking the time to write the song and and tell it from her point of view. And mm-hmm. it does. This is a song that does require footnotes. I mean, I wouldn't have yeah. known like Rosabelle Believe. I mean, for example, like Rosabelle Believe, that's actually from a uh, a real song that was kind of their song, quote unquote, and it's it's an old song from the late 1800s. It's got a, a neat shifting melody to it that like you don't really the kind of melody you don't really hear in like modern modern music. Yeah, 1893. It's copyright 1893 written by Paul Dresser. There's a maiden sweet Rosabelle, the fairest of all that I know. All the beauties of heaven and the riches here below cannot compare with this innocent angel of whom I shall tell. List to the tale of my first love, sweet Rosabelle. Rosie, sweet Rosabelle, I love her more than I can tell. Or may she cast a spell, my charming black-eyed sweet Rosabelle. Aww. And that's so cute that their code was... um. It's like their song. This oh God, my rom- my softy romance, yeah. romantic heart is is, is is jumping out. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense unless you know the backstory. Yeah. So it's like, and that might be part of. I think that's also maybe why I didn't snatch with it because it's like, it's like, oh well, this sounds cool, but like, okay, wrote, like, okay, but but when you actually the read like as I said, the reason it resonates with me so deeply is because of what it's about and how powerful that romance is to me. But you don't know that it's about that unless you research. Yeah, I did a little bit of like kind of a little bit of his life, like what what he was best known for. He was he was known for doing his escapes and his different tricks. Um, did I you don't talk about the key thing, like the the, the kiss thing. Yep, that he she she the, his wife okay. would slip him the kiss. Um, following his death in 1926, his wife, Bess, tried to contact him during spiritual seances. Since Houdini was a spiritual debunker of spiritualist frauds during his lifetime, he had devised a code, Rosabelle believed, to ensure that she knew it was really him. In January... And that's so sweet that it was their song. <laughs> he chose as the code to say, like, this how you know it's me. So it was their, like, a song. Because I think that music evokes the most visceral kind of emotional responses in us, um, especially mm-hmm. in relation to um, relation into with romance and love. Um, I think that there are certain songs where like you hear them and like, I like, as I said, with um, certain Fleetwood Mac songs, I, that are really deeply associated with my first love. Um, like if I hear the song everywhere by Fleetwood Mac, mm-hmm. I am, I am right back at in Hyde Park in London in November, 2015, holding hands with her. I'm right there. And so it's interesting because it's like he knew, like in the same way that you hear a song and the kind of ghost of that person who's gone from our life, but was such a big part of our life is back. Um, he, it, it, he knew that he could use music to come back in that way, because that is how music works, is that we associate music with things in our life so closely, at least for those of us who are really passionate music, which I assume you are if you're listening to this. But um, <laughs> that there, it becomes so associated with like a place, a person, a place, and a time when you hear it. It's like that they're haunt, they're haunting you, and that's uh, yeah. Like another, I mean, another Fleetwood Mac song, "Silver Springs," when Sweet Stevie Nicks talks about you know the sound of my voice will haunt you. And now here's a portion of the very song that Harry and Bess Houdini had claimed as their song, "Rosabelle, Sweet Rosabelle." 
copyrighted 1893 by Paul Dresser. he died oh my god like so when i was a kid and i first heard of houdini and i knew that oh yeah he's a guy he was a tricks he he would do tricks and and all this other stuff and i'd heard that he had died of appendicitis yeah so basically what happened is that somebody came two people came into his dressing room um, it was the student's name is Jack Price and Sam Smilovitz, sometimes called Jack Price and Sam Smiley. Uh, Price said that one of his friends asked Houdini, quote, if he believed in the miracles of the Bible and whether it was true that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. He then delivered, quote, some very hammer-like blows below the belt. Uh, and so this guy punched him in the stomach. Houdini was not ready to be punched in the stomach like that. Um, he had also had broken his ankle while performing several days earlier. So he was lying down. He was in no position to like ready his abdomen to be, uh, to be uh, struck, struck like that. Um, and one of the other guys say with his ego in his gut. <laughs> <laughs> too bad. I get definitely lots of ego. To, 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 to mention another people song, yeah. Um, one of the other guys with him said that Houdini winced at each blow and stopped, stopped Whitehead suddenly in the midst of a punch, gesturing that he had had enough and adding that he had no opportunity to prepare himself against the blows. And had his ankle not been broken, he would have risen from the couch in a better position to brace himself. This was right before one of his shows. Throughout the evening, he tried performing, but he was he performed in much pain. Obviously, he was struck in the stomach, not prepared for it. Um, for about the next couple of days, he was in constant pain. He couldn't sleep, but he went, no, nah, I'm not going to go get any medical help. Nah, I got this. When he finally saw a doctor, he had a fever 102 degrees Fahrenheit and acute appendicitis. He ignored it and he ignored the doctor saying, hey, you cannot go on. You cannot perform like this. And he decided, nope, nope, on with the show. Show must go on. 
and instead he he arrived at the the theater that night in Detroit. It turned out to be his last performance. He had a fever of 104 degrees. He took the stage anyway, and he passed out during the show, got revived and continued, but then immediately went to the hospital where he died. Yeah, that's some. That's a very bizarre story. Ugh. And so that's how he. That's how he died. You know, this guy that would used to get chained up and thrown into water tanks and trying to escape, and instead he was struck literally by some blows to the stomach. Yeah, it's almost like um. It's almost like in like Lawrence of Arabia where he like dies and falls off his bike. I'm like, really? like you went through all that and you like fell off your bike, like you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or like, but um, yeah, and just yeah, so I can understand why Beth Houdini would be especially distraught because it's like talk about being taken for your time unexpectedly. Um, but yeah, I just I but I, I just really love that ritual they had of um, and this is so key to understanding one of the footnotes of the song you need to get it is that he um before they before he would perform, when he'd be locked up, she would pass him the key to unchain himself with her tongue via a kiss. So the line, my favorite line in the song, mm-hmm. is uh, with the kiss, I'd pass the key and see your tongue teasing and receiving. That, to me, that's just, like, gorgeous. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Like, the teasing and the, the, the referring to tongue kissing as teasing and receiving is one of the most beautiful descriptions of a kiss I've ever heard. They said I have I write fiction sometimes. I have I have stolen that multiple times. Sorry, Kate Bush, don't sue me. <laughs> it's not um but I it's just that's like just the best description of a kiss. Like I feel like when I do kiss, like I'm like, will this meet the meet the criteria of kiss of teasing and receiving or tongue teasing and receiving? Like it's just like it sets the bar for romance very high. But it's the mm-hmm. idea of like using a kiss for survival, too. It's really powerful. Some people may be wondering, for example, on the cover of the album, The Dreaming, what you are doing with a little gold key in your mouth. Yes. Uh, is this a reference to Gold Key Comics, or what? <laughs> well, it's, um, it's really to do with the song Houdini, which is on the album. And the song is written from Mrs. Houdini's point of view. And uh, what was rather beautiful was she used to help him a lot with his tricks. And uh, one of the things that she would do before he went off into his tank or to jump into the sea or whatever it was, she would pass him a tiny key with a kiss before she left him and he went off. And, and when he was uh, then in the water, he would use the key to unlock the padlocks. So in many ways, by passing that key, she was keeping an eye on his life, making sure that he would be safe, that he would come out again. And also, you have this note here. I hadn't even thought of this until I looked over um, what you added to our notes here. The um, In the next song, in Get Out of My House, with my key eye, with I, my key eye. Mm. So, yeah. So, I have a lot of soft and key imagery, both in this song, the album. Um, so, because this is the song that the album cover is depicting we don't really have mm-hmm. any well okay it's not true on um, the cover of the kick inside is about is depicting the song kite but um in but this is she specifically chose to use the album cover to depict a visual representing the song Houdini and so you know when thinking of a song I asked myself why why this song of all of them and what I my thesis my hypothesis is that I think that keys that this whole album is a key. 
and that keys are no one contended key this album because um a key is the perfect symbol for this album essentially because what this dreaming is about is about unlocking different facets of consciousness mm. of different facets of production unlocking her own capabilities as an as a producer unlocking new capabilities to herself as a vocalist of um as one quote said one review of of the album said exploiting the musical potential of the voice in all capacities. She's really unlocking that. And that's why the key is such an important... So the key really is... And then, so on the next song, I Got Out of My House, there's also key imagery where she says, with my key eye, with my key eye, eye, eye. So key imagery pops up multiple times in this album. And so when you think about, okay, why of all the songs and all the images from any song is she having the cover be best to herself is best but a very very 1980s version yes. the hair version of best Houdini, um passing the key with her tongue and i think because to me a key and symbol it represents everything that this album is which is like because for example leave it open is about unlocking like different realms of consciousness this song is about unlocking like, getting a key, not just kissing and receiving, passing the key, but also a key to the afterlife and mm-hmm. to being able to connect with the spiritual world. Um, and so, and also as that, as the reviewer said, she's really unlocking her own capabilities as a performer and as a producer and really unlocking, and I'm going to go a step further and say unlocking more opportunities for women in music, period, as producers Ooh, and as that. musicians and not just, yeah, not just as performers and singers. So this album to me is so radical because it really represents, like, it's really unlocked. Like, the key is so important, is so crucial because it, it really represents, every, this album is a giant unlocking of a door that has that was shut to women in music for a very long time and still for a large part is. Mm-hmm. Um, and really unlocks also a form of expression that you don't really hear at all. There's just so much in this album with the guttural screaming on this song, the rage, the she's not afraid to get ugly, to sound ugly. Um, in the hee-haw, you know, on the next song, yes. she's not afraid to be what might be ridiculous. She's just unlocking, she's just really unlocking the door that was considered of what is okay and what is not okay, especially for a woman to do in music. And that's Absolutely. why, to me, a key is really the ultimate and symbol of this album and the perfect representation of it and why it means so much to me. I have a necklace, um, mm-hmm. I have a very special necklace that is a key. Well, well, two things. I don't have any tattoos and I really have no desire to get one. I just, I'm too indecisive. I don't want anything permanent on my body. Although I do know I will love this album forever. But uh, if like someone held a gun to my head and you need to get a tattoo or else you're going to die, um, first I'd be like, really? And then I'd say... Um, I would get a key on the nape of my neck, probably, because keys are just so important to me because of what they represent in terms of this album, which is kind of, and also with all the love, the previous song, it's kind of about unlocking your emotions and being able to open yourself up emotionally to others in order to find happiness and fulfillment. And so the key is this very important symbol to me in relation to that. And then also... Um, yeah, I just to me it's also has become the symbol of romance because of how deeply romantic I find the concept of 
her passing the key with her tongue, kissing, teasing and receiving. Um, I mentioned earlier that I have like a, uh, everyone has their first love they never forget. And the mine was a very big Kate Bush fan as well. It's kind of what really brought us together. And her favorite album's Dreaming too. I know she's listening. So I'll call her Rosabelle. Hi, Rosabelle. And, um, <laughs> and so she, um, because we're both such big fans of this album, she, for my birthday one year, made me a key necklace. And I wear it pretty much every day. And I, I forget some days when I don't have it on, I feel like naked. Um, mm-hmm. Before we started this recording, Cecily and I were talking about makeup. We were both saying like we are really lazy and never wear makeup. Oh, yeah. But yeah, like some people feel like I don't feel, I feel like not myself not wearing makeup. I don't feel like myself if I don't have my key necklace on. It just feels, and it, so because to me the key represents all the talk of, but it also represents love um, because of this act of Beth using their love to keep using love an action of love that kiss to keep her the person she to keep harry alive and so and also represents and so when i wear that necklace it sits where the key sits very close to my heart and it really feels like i'm carrying love with me Mm -hmm. um around with me and as doesn't all the love you know because people don't uh really communicate how they feel it often there are a lot of times in my life i don't feel loved i feel very alone and having that necklace that Rosabelle made for me <laughs> is uh and remembering that there was a time in my life that somebody loved me that much and mm. having that on my heart is just very important to me and also it might reminds me of my love for Kate Bush and how important she is for me as a figure who has unlocked a lot within myself and unlocked so much for many other people throughout the world um not just both in terms of people creating music and just being able to uh, unlock different, understand themselves better, understand the world better, and be have gained some fulfillment because her music has done that for me, for sure. And mine as well. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing the show. No, no. I mean, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't have had that relationship that I had if it had been for Kate Bush because we first connected over being Kate Bush fans. So, um, so yeah, so it's, she's done a lot for me. And sometimes I hate her because I'm like, why do I have to have this thing in my life that I'm so obsessed with that it makes me unable to like connect with people who aren't obsessed with this. <laughs> but, but, um, but the key, yeah, I just think that with a kiss, I pass the key is like the ultimate romantic moment. And to me, like, why this is my favorite romance song, even though most people do not think of a screamo. But it is a screamo song. People oh, yeah. The screamo song is being primarily, especially romantic. But I'm like, yep, Valentine's Day playlist, here we go. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, the product- production-wise, it's kind of a simple song. I think more... If anything, this is really more of a um, a string and with a little bit of piano under it, really. Especially that beautiful string arrangement. Oh my goodness! Yeah, isn't that just to die for? It sounds like something from an old Victorian movie or something like that, which I'm sure was intentional. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it's interesting because the credits of the album says all songs arranged by Kate, but then we get this little footnote just on Houdini, that those strings were written and arranged by Dave Lawson. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and Andrew Powell. I'd want to give both yep. of those guys their due. Um, that's really interesting to me. I, I'd love to know how much input she had on that. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I haven't found anything in Under the Ivy, uh, the biography about like about that. I I would. She'd worked with Andrew Powell on her first uh, first two albums, so I wouldn't be surprised if maybe she they kind of knew each other already. And Andrew, like, okay, we know what probably about what she's going to go for on this song. So. Mm, yeah, I bet you're right. Mm-hmm. Then we got the drums from Stuart Elliott. Not too many drums, but th- the drums that are used in the song, I think, are done tastefully. Especially, like, the the way the drums smack for you hit the water. You hit the water! Yes, yeah, that is fantastic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, we got some bass from Everhard of Eber, who's been on a couple other songs from The Dreaming. Uh, of course, Kate playing the Fairlight and the piano. Uh, that's Dell saying Rosabelle Believe. Mm-hmm. And who uh, I didn't realize that there was somebody saying Houdini, but I listened to it again this today. I'm like, oh, wait, that's what it is. Uh, Gordon Farrell, who actually was one of her music teachers. He was her voice teacher for a couple of years as uh, I'm guessing like in the interim between her getting signed and releasing her first album so like oh that's pretty cool yeah and she's actually credited him with developing her confidence as a singer so this is an important person in her uh, career so i love that she brought him in for something well because i think for most people and if, i mean especially if you read you yeah i don't know if you read youtube comments for anybody who ever posts a video of the song people comment on the screaming part and yes it that is a very distinctive part of the song but there's more to it than that. And personally, yeah. I see the screaming part as her, as Kate expressing frustration on the part of his wife. Mm-hmm. Especially at the end, with your life, the only thing in my mind, we pull you from the water. Yeah, she's right. She's watching the man that she loves so much. She's watching this strong man who can usually get out of chains and all sorts of other tricks and traps. And instead, he's now dying. Presumably, if, you know, from the story, he got punched in the stomach too hard and he died of complications of appendicitis and just general, like, getting punched in the stomach because you're not supposed to do that but but that that line with her screaming those it feels like that she's expressing the ultimate frustration of his wife absolutely and especially and like because she's she's an onlooker helpless to do anything to change the situation just like mm-hmm. the mother in army dreamers just like the woman in the empty bullring you know and she's giving she's really giving voice to that rage i think that like women have been conditioned to just like accept what men do what the men in their lives do as like oh they're just being men they're being they're doing their thing uh but she's expressing like no this sucks i missed to scream about it and then of course on the next song get out of my house talk a lot more about female oh, rage yeah. um that's the one expression of female rage that song is as especially as i interpret it about i i do i kind of reject her what, what it's actually about i interpret it more about being about the body um but but um but yeah but she's really giving voice to this i think like especially with how pretty a lot of her singing is and like in parts of the song then this rage kind of shows what's the prettiness is masking that really we aren't again unlocking. She's unlocking what we're not allowed mm. to express as women. You know, mm-hmm. it's 
Wow, I'm thinking now two of them, and I've mentioned. I think I talked about this song on the episode about the Unbeatable Ring, but because to me this is like the the feminist anthem, uh, "Go Long" by Joanna Newsom. Mm-hmm. She's a line. It's basically a drag. It's basically about it's about how women have to watch men be really stupid and do acts of bravado to prove how great they are. And she has a really wonderful line in it that says. What a woman does is open doors. There's not a question of locking or unlocking. So it's that line is talking about how women are always expected to accommodate, to open the door. It's not even a question of being able to shut the door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here, the opening is a radical act, and it's a choice. When the only thing in my mind, we pull you from the well, I had terrible trouble getting that because for some singers, they seem to be able to have all this natural gravel in their voice. And I seem to have a more pure voice, naturally. And it's very hard for me to get that kind of gravel and power. And I had to spend about an hour um, eating a huge bar of chocolate and about a pint of milk. So I was just so, you know covered in mucus inside my throat that it was actually coming out with gravel but I wouldn't have been able to do it otherwise and of course there's no way I would have been able to have sung a pure number after that Speaking as one who spends several hours before each performance not eating chocolate or drinking milk I must say that at first I was a bit put out that someone with what I thought of as an unsophisticated grasp of vocal technique should be able to achieve such popular acclaim as a singer. After all, Kate Bush had escaped the years of relentless training that we opera singers undergo. But I came to understand that she was using recording techniques as a substitute for vocal training. That what she wants to do is the same as we opera singers, exploit the musical potential of the voice in all its facets. It was really nice, too, to meet someone who shared my pleasure in the human voice. Voices are not only far more powerful weapons than we normally give them credit for, not only absolutely essential tools of the trade to some people, but they can be the source of enormous... All I know is that it really is great. I really enjoy singing very, very much indeed. It's very uplifting and exciting and a very emotional experience. I think that's where I've got to tie in. It's with the emotion. And for me, a singing voice can express so many different emotions. You know, I did hear one, I did read one thing, though, that this song in particular was highlighted by critics as um, a problem, as that this was going to be, this was going to make the album not commercial enough um, as a pop, as a pop album. And I think that's really interesting. And I think it's got to be because of the vocal shredding that she does in the chorus. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I was researching that today. I think this has to be one of the earliest examples of shredding in a pop song. I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's so and it's so shocking when it happens, you know, because mm-hmm. you're especially on this song, she's got these really languid, lush vocals. And then all of a sudden to have that sort of cut through, it's, it's almost scary in a way. Oh, yeah. Um, so I know what you're talking about earlier when you were saying how, you know, a lot of people have, I've played this song for a lot of friends and family and they're always just like terrified by this song. 
Um, mm-hmm. Even more so this song than like Get Out of My House, which I think is so interesting. Um, huh. And I think it is because there's that juxtaposition in the song of this very sweet and strings. And um, of course, I mean, the subject matter throughout is kind of bizarre because we're talking about seances. But mm-hmm. um, that vocal shredding, it gets them every time. Yeah. And speaking of that vocal shredding, um, this is actually this is a, something from a Radio 2 interview she did on September 13th, 1982, where she actually like talks about like her voice on that. Mm-hmm. She says, uh, well, the idea is that as she's watching him go off into his tank of water for the last time, and it's the idea that she's a sort of possessed demon that's terrified of him going. And I drank about a pint of milk before I did the vocal and ate yes. like two bars of chocolate. Yeah, that is a trick of the trade. You know, and as a, a student yeah. of voice for, for many, many years, if you have to belt, if you have to do something damaging to the voice, they that is still recommended. You know, get mm-hmm. the get the mucous membrane going and <laughs> get it get a lot of gunk in your throat, which is really gross, but it does help protect the vocal cords. And I have found for me, since, you know, since I sing too, that if I eat, if I eat especially dark chocolate, which is the kind that I like, if I eat a lot of that dark chocolate, suddenly like, whoa, I'm hitting like contralto notes and I'm not a contralto. I'm a soprano. But if I, if, but if I eat enough of those, like it lowers my voice and I can get those, I can get super low notes that aren't very audible, but they're definitely there. So. I'll have to try that. I've never tried that. You know, the um, dark chocolate, I'm guessing Kate was talking about milk chocolate, which has a lot of sugar and a lot of milk fat, which is going to give you sort of that gunking effect. But dark chocolate actually has so much caffeine that it can actually dry out the vocal cords. Mm. And so I wonder if that contributes to some of your lower notes, because it's almost like a vocal fry effect. So, So that's really interesting. But uh, yeah, I love that quote about the the milk. I just think that's so funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the things that they tell you not to do with singing. My choir teacher would tell us not to do in high school yes. before going to try out for stuff. But she went, no, I want to get that gravelly stuff there. So I'm just going to go on ahead and do it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as for the type of singing I do, well, I'm a vegan, so I don't do any milk or anything anymore. But, ah, gotcha. but uh, I have avoided milk and coffee um, on singing days for for as long as I can remember, because one will gunk you up and one will dry you out. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, Kate flying in the face. But um, but again, for for belting and the the shredding, they do recommend that gunk in your throat, which is just so nasty. I I, I can remember that feeling. It's not a pleasant experience. Hmm. Well, most of the time, I just try to drink water. Although, as we're talking here. I did make myself a frappuccino downstairs, so <laughs> coffee and some milk, because <laughs> I do want a little bit of caffeine buzz, but I also have some water to counter it. So there you go. <laughs> well, maybe if the coffee and milk are together, they cancel each other out. <laughs> That's kind of what I go for. I don't know. <laughs> but maybe. It sounds legit. Yeah. But, you know, the, the first time I heard this song, I remember that 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 part in the chorus would always freak me out because before that, the part, the chorus before that with your spit still on my lips, I honestly think is some of the most beautiful music she's ever recorded. Like it's just, it's so floaty and watery and it has a, to me it has a slight Eastern feel to it, but that could just be me. I don't know. But it's, I, I think that. some of the most beautiful music she's ever recorded. And then suddenly we get to the year with your spit and I'm like, ah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, and I agree. And and that's sort of what I was talking about with like its similarity to Wuthering Heights. It's interesting because it's similar in two ways because she's talked about Kathy being a demon uh possessed and being that ghostly demonic presence crying out for Heathcliff. Um and so we've got that here in Houdini also. Mm-hmm. And um and then the other thing that's similar is that for the chord progression of the verses of Houdini, it's very bizarre. It's very strange. There's lots of sevenths. There's lots of strange chords thrown in that you don't find in pop music. But then we get to that chorus, and she's using um, four chords, five chords, and minor sixes, which is just like pop music, bread and butter. And um, and it is incredibly beautiful, and it's incredibly effective to go from that bizarre... Um, chord progression that she uses on the verses to something that's more familiar and more pleasing to the ear on the refrain. But a big difference between this song and Wuthering Heights, and I actually love this, and I think it had to have been a choice, is in Wuthering Heights, she eventually gets to that tonic chord, that one chord, and we feel that resolution. And I think I talked about that um, Mm -hmm. with you uh, the last time. But here in Houdini, it never resolves. She never gets to the one chord. And... um, and I think that as a listener, we hear that and it makes sense thematically in the song because the wife is never fully resolved either. Ew, yeah, I never thought of that. Yeah. So I think that it's just an, it's just more proof that Kate is a genius. I mean, that she <laughs> uses music to complement the lyrics, to complement the story. Um, they're, they're not just these two things that oh, yeah, here's just like a pretty melody. No, it actually works thematically with the the music as well. And mm-hmm. um, I think that uh, Kate is just, I don't know. I know I'm a fanboy, but I just Kate can't do any wrong <laughs> for me. <laughs> well, she's certainly unique. Like she came right out of the gate, like with this very unique style that, you know, it's, she doesn't write the kind of songs you expect to hear, like little Susie singing along to um, with her radio. Like she doesn't do that kind of stuff. It's like, right. hey, I'm going to go write a song about this historical figure, and I love her for that. I love that as a female songwriter that she's not afraid to write about something other than love. Like she writes about actually interesting things. Absolutely. And when she does tackle love, which, which like in running up that hill, it's from a really interesting point of view and a really different place than we normally hear it. Um, so I just, I agree completely with what you said, the way she approaches everything and, and every topic she ends up writing about is just fantastic. So since we're both music nerds, so where do I want to start with the, the, the core, prog- like the core progression and like how you arranged this for piano and voice? Because I mean, these songs on the on the dreaming are she was doing the Peter Gabriel approach where she was starting with the rhythm first mm. instead of yeah, instead of like sitting at the piano and playing, which is honestly how I usually compose my songs, like sitting at the piano downstairs and the cats surrounding me and stuff like that yeah me but too <laughs> this I complete mean, this with one, the cats like oh my cats even sit on top of the piano it's so cute yeah um but i mean on this album kate would she took more of a peter gabriel approach where she started with the rhythm first and that means that you know i cannot imagine many of these songs being played acoustically i just don't feel like that would work so 
where do we want to start with this since we're both music nerds here? Well, you know, that's a really interesting. I didn't know that, that she started with the rhythm. I knew that mm-hmm. she did that for like running up that hill. And um, yeah. so that, that must be something she continued. But I didn't realize that she did that for this album. But that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense to me because when I tried to arrange this on piano, like I said, it was one of the most difficult arrangements I've ever done because not only is the chord progression just nuts, but that string arrangement at the end um, was really hard to transcribe. And, and to be honest, it just took a lot of trial and error. I'm lucky that I have a strong enough ear that I was, I would play a little bit of the song and I would go over to the piano and just sort of play it by ear and try to figure out, okay, well, what chord goes here? What chord goes there? I was just very sort of um, methodical about it. And um, I remember, I'm trying to think what, there's one change in the song. Oh, I want this man to go away now. The chord right on that, bum, I want this man to go away now. That took me forever because it is such a bizarre um, jump from where the rest of the verse is. And... uh, Gosh, I'm trying. I'm sorry. Am I answering your question? No, you are. Yeah, yeah. And also, <laughs> as we're talking here, I'm looking at this is a world of Kate a world of Kate And somebody scanned in every single page from the Kate Bush complete book. And so I'm actually as you're talking about it, I'm looking at the uh, the melody line and the chords above it. So ah, nice. Yeah. And see, I didn't have anything like that. I remember when I did this song, I looked on like the, sometimes I go and look at guitar tabs because I, that can Mm -hmm. sort of give me like a rough framework. Um, and at the time there weren't any tabs for this song. I, I just checked and now there are, but, um, but when I did it years ago, there weren't. So I was just sort of flying blind and, um, yeah, I I guess all I can say it really was just a lot of trial and error and listening and and if I I can't remember if I kept this in the original key, so that might have been another uh challenge that I laid for myself that I had to then transpose it, figure out the chords and then transpose them. Um I can't remember if I changed this one. I know with Wuthering Heights I left it in the key she wrote it in. Um I can't remember. Yeah, this is, well, the music for this is, I think it, you, you did keep it in the original key, and it's G-flat major. That sounds so familiar. Six <laughs> six flats, yeah, lots of flats. See, love them black keys. Yeah, yeah, you know, nothing easy. <laughs> she has to, make it, has to make it a challenge. Hell yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking at these chords. Yeah, it's... It is just all over the place. Yeah, and it's nothing you would expect. And I mean, and that's one of the things that I love about her that it she can, you know, nobody else could use this chord progression and make it work. The thing that makes it work is that melody over the top of that chord progression that somehow ties this totally bonkers progression together and makes it make sense. Um and that's really the magic of her songwriting, actually, is that she is able to craft these melodies that somehow unite these disparate chords. And uh, I would love to take like a college-level music theory class just solely about Kate as a composer. I think she mm-hmm. does not get enough credit um, as a composer and as an innovator, because this Absolutely. is really innovative stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, gosh, you got... 
C, okay, that says C flat major seven, D flat, A flat minor, E flat, C flat major, D flat, A flat minor, E flat. And then for the, it's, I want this man to go away now. It puts in an F flat, which is, oh, just E major. Why you can't just say E major? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like E major in G flat major. Like, how does it, mm, how does Well, and that, right. Here? And that makes sense as to why that chord in particular frustrated me so much because it's literally yeah. F flat is not in the key of G flat. <laughs> it just mm-hmm. isn't. So, <laughs> thank you, Kate. And then it goes to C flat for with a kiss I pass the key. It's C yes, flat. Yes, and that is that. That's what I was talking about. This chord progression mm-hmm. makes a little bit more sense. It's we've got C, uh, C flat, which is your four chord, and then we go to E flat minor, which is your minor sixth, and then D flat, which is the five. So that's the dominant chord. So this is a little bit more standard of a of a pop structure. Um, but the verses, I can't even begin to sort of mm. break those down. They're just bizarre, but I mean, in a beautiful way. But it goes with the otherworldly theme of the song, too. Absolutely. Like, absolutely. You know, contacting somebody, trying to contact somebody from beyond the grave. It is very much, I actually wrote this in my notes that you, know, you were mentioning, like, kind of tying this to Wuthering Heights. Yeah, I feel like it's this is similar to Wuthering Heights, but for a little bit more of a his, from a more historical perspective. But there is still that like love transcending death. Yes, and you know what? It's interesting because that's something she still to this day is writes about um, on Lake Tahoe, for instance. In, oh yeah, um, because that is about a Victorian woman cry, as a ghost crying for a lost love. Out in nature, <laughs> it's literally Wuthering Heights, but instead mm-hmm. of Heathcliff, she's crying for her dog, and um, I think that's so beautiful. I love it. I say, Kate, write fifty more of those songs. That's that's fine <laughs> with me. And now for a clip of Luke McQuillan singing his piano and voice transcribed by ear version of Houdini. I wait at the table. And hold hands with weeping strangers Wait for you to join the group A tambourine jingle jangles The medium rolls and rambles Not taken in I break the circle I want this man to go away now With a kiss I pass the key And feel your tongue teasing and receiving With your spit still on my lips He's using code that only you and I... I cannot even imagine if Kate were to ever sing this song live. Oh, God, yeah, right? Like, what would she do? How would she be able to sing the next song? Because what I like, she has so many different 
vocal stylings on the song. Right. She has like the kind of like light up in the mask sort of sound for I wait at the table and hold hands with weeping strangers. And then she keeps it like kind of delicate for the chorus. And then she suddenly goes into the scream part and then she goes kind of Broadway. You, you talk about this in the, in your notes with, you know, I catch the cues watching you, hoping you do something wrong. Sounds very Broadway, especially with the way the, the strings are swelling underneath her. And then she goes back to light and then she goes to the screaming and then she goes kind of whispery at the end. You know, you and I and Rosabelle. She's oh, using so many different parts good. of her voice. Oh, so good. See, this song is just so fucking good. Oh, my God. That's like, oh, just, there's and I so am, much to it. I am so glad that this song eventually grew me because, like I said at the top of the episode, same. I did not like this song very much because the screaming just took me out of it. Like I could not get past that. But yeah, and I'm the opposite. Like normally, I would be like, "Yeah, I love this because of the screaming." I always love "Get Out of My House," but for some reason, this song just like didn't even register. Mm -hmm. So I'm so glad it finally clicked because beyond the screaming, just the projection is so phenomenal. Like so, one of my favorite moments in that is um when she says everybody thinks you'll never make it. And as she says that, you hear the strings swell underneath her voice. Mm-hmm. And that's all. And also when she says the medium roams and rambles, you hear like a little um, tambourine underneath. Yeah, yeah, I you hear it's... the tambourine. Mm-hmm. So, so I love, there's all these little, just tiny little moments that you hear um, that are, that are in there. So I'm so glad that I, that this, and it's funny that I remember like, there's a few people who, I, I mean, I tell everyone I ever meet. I'm like, my friend, hi, my name's Zoe. Listen to the reading Becky Bush. And uh, basically, and, uh, and, but a bunch of people have always, have, usually that's a, they'll say like the one that stands out from the night swallow. And this one a lot. And it's funny because this one didn't stand out to me a lot, but like, yeah, but you have those little things like the little jingles under the medium rolls and rambles. You don't notice that. It takes like a, well, you have to listen to it many times. Pick up. I mean, we talk about this a lot with the album, especially an intro episode, but these songs are so dense sonically. You need to listen to them multiple times, preferably on vinyl, um, to really be able to hear all the layers and all the little things going on. So even though uh, it's like, yeah, it's the song she screams, like there's also just like little tambourine bits and little strings swelling out of nowhere. But you're right it's about the performance that is because she's doing so, not just with so many different things production, but so many different vocal styles. And it's interesting because in the last episode of All the Love, we talked about um, how this song actually, like All the Love, you actually can imagine being performed live in a sense because it is piano. Even though it's so heavily produced, it is piano-based at its core. Um, whereas, so that's like, I feel like of all the songs in the Dreaming, that's like the only one I can think of being performed live, to be honest. Mm-hmm. This one it's way too production-based to be done live. Yes. Um, yeah. And just and to, also I have to give a shout-out to... Sorry. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Oh, just I was just going to say, and just, just the extremities of how she uses her voice on this song and being able to do that live and also to do it in a healthy way so you're not, like, killing your yeah. voice and not being able to sing the next song. Like, Anyway, can, mm. what were you about to say? Right. It's, uh, it's as that quote that I, that I found said, that she's exploiting the musical potential of the voice in all its capacities. And she, this song is really the embodiment of that, because she really is using it in every single capacity as a way to express emotion and different things. But yeah, I, was gonna say, I have to give a shout out to 
iconic line, I want this man to go away now because what woman does not relate to that? I mean, I'm sure some men relate to it too, but I just think it's very important to have that. Very important to have that line in musical history. It means a lot to me. My, uh, my best friend is also a really big fan of Kate Bush. We, uh, we, we say that line to each other. That's like our favorite line. We say it line to each other all the time. Hi, Kelsey, if you're listening. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we say that line to each other all the time. We love it. Um, it's a great line. <laughs> One thing that I really, that also endears me to this song, because this is mm-hmm. such a romantic song about a couple. So speaking of couples, the person who says Rose Bell Believe, who's transmitting that message, is none other than the one and all, everyone's favorite meme. <laughs> Del Palmer himself, her uh, her boyfriend of 15 years, bass guitarist, uh, bass player. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just t- I'm tired. Um, and so I think it's really lovely that the person who's playing the lo- that's playing Houdini is her actual is her man. You know, mm. and and he plays Houdini on the cover. He's he's haunting this album. You know what? Are there any live performances of anything from the Dreaming? Because I know there's a lot mm. of there's a lot of instances of her appearing on TV shows and lip syncing um, from this era. But I know, like for instance, "Suspended in Gatha," which is my favorite track from the Dreaming. She never performed that live, which I just it just kills me. Um, there are no live vocal performances of anything from the Dreaming. Wow. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you know <laughs> Exactly. And what's even more frustrating is that she um sat in your lap was on the shortlist to be on yeah. Before the Dawn. And she apparently even practiced it and um they decided to sort of last minute not to include it in the set. Um so that is just like soul crushing yeah. to know. I wish I had never found that out. Yeah, nothing from the dreaming has ever been performed live. Well, I, it is my dream to someday, if I am ever in a room with Kate, to convince her what an important album this is. <laughs> and, because, you know, I, th- I think she still has in her head, you know, there was so much critical discourse of this record. And um, I, th- I think that she, she feels very bittersweet toward this album is the sense that mm-hmm. I get. And, you know, I, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but to me, this is one of her best. And I'd love to see her do a live show where, you know, we basically got the entirety of Ariel in Before the Dawn. I mean, there's very few songs that did not make it on the stage. I would love to see the Dreaming staged like that. Mm-hmm. But I know that's a pipe dream. Probably never going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, but we can always hope. We can always dream. Yes, we can dream. Or at the very least, like I was talking with um, another fan in, um, when I was talking with Daniel Thomas in the Pull Out the Pin episode, and he meant, he said, oh, it would be really neat to have a, to have a dance company do dance routines to songs from the Dreaming, since Mm. so many of them have not been performed live, even lip synced. It would be neat to see. I don't know what she would do exactly with this song, but I would love. I would like to see what she could do if she were to ever do a live show of the Dreaming. What she would do with this song? Absolutely, and you know, this song in particular, I think, would be the most difficult of any song on the Dreaming to perform live because 
you know, I'm assuming, and I, I don't know, we'd have to ask her, I'm assuming that line with the vocal shredding was probably recorded separately because her vocals are of such high quality. I don't, I don't hear that gumminess in the rest of the voice um, from that mm-hmm. milk, from the milk and chocolate. And you can't do that live. You can't just selectively like, oh, I'm going to go <laughs> drink a glass of milk really fast mm-hmm. just before this line, you know? Yeah, um, very true. So I don't know, you know, maybe that part could just be the recording or, or like a new recording um, just for that line. But um, that in particular, I mean, I don't know. I didn't do the vocal shredding in my cover. I know. And um, <laughs> a lot of people, and that's one of the reasons I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to sing the other more beautiful parts of the song um, if I had done that. And um, I actually got a few comments saying people were glad I didn't do the shredding. Um, and I think that because I think that's because the shredding is so disconcerting to a lot of people. So maybe she could just leave it out. I mean, do you think? Do you think people would be mad if she didn't shred? Well, I think my here's my thought is that if you don't like the way that she sang it on the album version, well, that version still exists. And at least for me, like I what I like about a live artist is seeing them do something different than what's on the album. Yeah. So if she were to do have sung that part melodically rather than uh, gunking up her throat and de- being the demon, whatever, on it, <laughs> that, that I would want her to try something different, like what you did in your cover. And, and I t- I'm with the other YouTubers. I'm glad that you didn't shred your voice, because goodness, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to talk either. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. I would love to see her do this sort of stripped down just with a mm-hmm. piano. And um, and by the way, I would love a Kate concert where it was just her and the piano, the whole concert. Me too. I, th- I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah, but anyway, I will let you go and Hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. It was good to talk about these songs. And whenever you want to do uh, Get Out of My House, I'll be available and be in my house. <laughs> Sounds good. So any final thoughts on Houdini? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I'm a, looking here like... Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, 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 okay. just, it's an amazing track and... Uh, it's still as arresting to listen to today as the first time I heard it, and it's still as shocking. And I think that a song not losing its power like that is really rare. And um, I don't know. I'm just glad she wrote it. I'm glad, too. I like that she took on a different perspective that you don't hear about very often from Miss Houdini rather than the man himself. Absolutely. Very much. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today and talk about Houdini. Now, I know you've got a lot of different creative projects going on. So what do you have going on these days? Oh, so much. I am also a singer, songwriter and producer. And I just released an original song called The Gauntlet. And um, speaking of non-traditional love songs, it is very much non-traditional because it's talking about something that we don't hear a lot about in the media. And that's that... Um, relationships sometimes are a lot of work. Sometimes a lot of um, things can happen in your life that you can have a great, strong relationship. And yet all of these outside influences and forces are going to add stress to your relationship. And this song is about just um, 
being unified with um, your spouse, my husband in this case, and um, sort of fighting together, taking on the world. It's a great little defiant pop love song, and I'm really proud of it. And uh, if I had to describe my sound, it, <laughs> and this is probably going to sound funny, <laughs> it's like if um, Disney's Electric Light Parade and Inya had a baby that was then raised by Kate Bush, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> I love that description. <laughs> Thank you. So if that's something that sounds interesting or appealing to your listeners, it probably made some people gag. But um, <laughs> if, if, if I'm sticking to my guns here. Uh, but. If uh, if that's something that sounds interesting, check me out, Luke McQuillan. I'm on YouTube.com slash Luke McQuillan. I'm on Patreon. Um, my music is on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual places. Awesome, awesome. And I actually had a, a listen to the gauntlet earlier today because I saw you were posting about it on Twitter. And it's a really, really, really cool song. Everybody should check it out. It's really awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on the show again. I've always loved talking to you and, and love talking about Kate with you. And now to close out this episode, we have a very special piano instrumental cover. Not from Luke McQuillan, but actually from another YouTube user. He goes by the name of Yanta, which stands for You Are Not Tori Amos. His shtick is that he can transcribe pretty much any Tori Amos song by ear. But on his channel, he also has some Kate Bush transcribed piano covers. There is The Kick Inside. There's Under the Ivy and Dream of Sheep. And I think there might be a few others, but most importantly... He has a piano cover of Houdini. So to close out this episode, here is Yanta's version of Houdini.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. If you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to, or if you want to be on the show to talk about your favorite Kate Bush song, you can find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast. You can email me, kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can find me at kbcast.linkmedia.com and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. We have one more song to go from The Dreaming, and it's going to be quite an episode coming next week. We're going to be talking about the last track on The Dreaming, Get Out of My House, and then we're going to take a couple weeks break, and then we're going to talk about the B-sides, just a couple of B-sides from this season. We'll see everybody next week for an extensive discussion of Get Out of My House. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.